Yo-ho, I'm Damien Roos, and today, Garmin Alternatives, Criterium Tactics, and Testing for Repeatability. You got a question about cycling? I got you covered. But if I can't find the answer, it doesn't exist. This is your Cycling Questions Answered. Let's bang straight into number one here. Question one is, Lezine GPS units, yes or no? Well, we know Garmin owns this space. So in many ways, it's crazy to think about competing with them. But this is exactly what they're doing. And why? Because they're bringing something new, something different to the game. If we talk about GPS computers, there is a whole bunch that we could make comparisons with. But I'm only going to talk about Lezine brand computers because they've just released seven new versions and a couple of watches. The features on these new versions are live tracking, turn-by-turn navigation, Strava live segments, customizable screens, and color displays. So they're getting back up to where most of the players in this space are. But they're different in the way that they're small. They're really small. They're tiny little things. And that is definitely different to the trend that we've seen over the last few years. You compare them with your smartphone, which is a little late to the game, but it does mean that you can start doing heavier computing on the actual phone itself, and then that transfers and gives you sort of notifications. So it's acting more like an Apple Watch giving you notifications of Strava KOMs or segment notifications, directions, you know, left in 50 meters type of thing. It's a really simple data screen format. And the other thing that's small is the price. It's super cheap, 100 to 130 bucks US without any extras. They sell the extras like heart rate straps for 45 bucks a piece. But for 100 to 130 bucks, you could have this on your second and third bike and you're not even thinking about it. It's not a $500 investment like other brands. So I don't see why you wouldn't go out and pick this one up for your second or third bike, or even your first bike, if you haven't invested yet, or you've spent all your money on, say, a power meter, it can definitely do Ant Plus, and it can do Bluetooth, so it can pick up any power meter that you want. There are advantages here with size and price, and it does everything else that the other brands do, so it's a valid competitor in the market. Question two, recommendation for a heart monitor. I had a Garmin 520 for my bike. I had the Garmin heart rate monitor, but it is completely unreliable, losing connection to the computer basically every ride. I was wondering if any of you have a recommendation for a good heart rate monitor that connects to the Garmin. So you're talking about a strap here, obviously, or something that's going to actually pick up the signal, the heart rate signal, and then send that to your Garmin 520. I have only heard good things about the Shosh Rhythm. I don't know whether that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it, Shosh. You wear it on your arm, close to your armpit, kind of just at the top part of your bicep, which really is only a problem if you're running super tight sleeves, super long sleeves on your sexy aero jersey. Otherwise, it's not really too much of a problem. Compared to wearing it around your chest, I think it's easier to get on and off. There's no sort of forgetting about it and having to take everything off to get it back on. Or there's no 
on a cold, freezing winter morning when even putting on a cold heart rate strap just kills your chest. You can just put it on your arm. It's going to be a lot easier to get through that couple of seconds of pain. The other option that I recommend is a four-eye strap. A traditional strap it is, but it has dual amp plus Bluetooth connectivity. The Shosh Rhythm also has it, but the 4i is a little cheaper at 80 bucks. The Shosh Rhythm is a hundred bucks, so it's a little more expensive. It runs under some different technology as well, so that's kind of where the price difference would come from. And if you don't know why you would have Ant Plus and Bluetooth connectivity, I would say get it anyway. You really want to have that as a minimum requirement on your strap. It gives you more flexibility in the future to connect to whatever device you end up buying or end up getting hold of. I went down the Bluetooth route and got a Wahoo speed and cadence sensor and their Reflect computer, which did just reflect what was happening from my phone. And then I went and got an Amp Plus power meter and I was basically screwed because I just had an Amp Plus heart rate monitor. And so I had to put all my old sensors back on because I didn't have that dual channel HR strap. So that's something to consider and it's going to future proof your gear pretty much. Question three, I'm going into my first crit, men's sport, 19 to 34 years, A grade, here in Singapore. To put that into perspective for people outside of Singapore, my FTP is 3.6 watts per kilogram, cat four-ish. Looking at the sign-ups, there are 14 people registered and one team has seven riders signed up. I am predominantly a sprinter. I'm not sure what I should be doing tactics-wise. What are some of the likely scenarios in a situation like this and what do you think my best course of action would be? There's a couple of parts to this question, I think. You're asking about what you would do when half the field is one team and basically you're screwed. Because you have to follow wheels, but you can't follow wheels all race because you'll be worn out for the sprint at the end. So in some ways, you're taking a bit of a risk when you think about either attacking or waiting to the end to sprint. I do want to start, though, with the three rules of criteriums. And the first one is start on the front row. Why? Because it could be on from the start. And if it's a team of seven, then they're definitely going to be sending someone. So you've got to be up there at least so you can see what's happening. The second, stay in the first 25%. This is because the accordion effect. So every time you go around a corner, if you're towards the back, you're going to have to use more energy just to get back up into a bunch where if you stay at the front, you don't have to use as much energy. And the third one is if you're not in the first 25%, move up. So moving up, how do you move up? You either move up on the inside, you got to think about where the wind is and don't expose yourself for too long, the length of the straight that you're trying to get past people on, the speed of the bunch and the position so you can get back in and people are going to let you in or you can fight your way in without getting too many enemies. Or the third way is around corners. Don't do it on the inside. You'll just be a jerk. No one will like you. You have to find gaps to sort of squeeze in around corners and only take them if they're semi-safe. I wouldn't say don't take them necessarily, but just make sure you're not pissing anybody off. So the two options in a crit, attacking or sprinting, you got to have a flexible race plan. And I was in a crit last summer where the same thing happened to me regarding a whole bunch of people from one team. They just sent 
kept sending riders up the road and eventually a brake stuck and no one would want to work in the bunch and no one wanted to try and get away. So there's a really big risk in waiting around. But I've got to say, wait around. My recommendation is to wait for the sprint. And the risk here, of course, like I said, is that you won't even be playing for the win when it gets to the uh, end of the race. But I don't see the reason why you shouldn't just have a crack at that rather than, you know, wearing yourself out for no reason because you're not going to get away on your own necessarily. And so you need to think of the best way that you can sort of move around the team and get to understand them a little bit. And if they've got a sprinter, just follow the sprinter's wheel pretty much. But here is your all or nothing move for waiting for the sprint. What you want to do is conserve energy, stay on the wheel in front of you, know how the race works. So understand laps, times, preems, etc. This is going to help you feel more confident when it comes to people attacking, but you know that they're just going for a sprint versus for an attack. Know how you're going to win. So have a really good understanding of where you need to be in the last corner, or the last two or three corners, so you can get into that right position, especially if you are sprinting. And know where the final 200 meters starts. If you are a short sprinter, then you have to know where you want to start sprinting. Otherwise, you're just going to time it all wrong. So when you're starting to get down to these final laps, don't get boxed in. Think about positioning. Pick a wheel or pick their lead-out train if they have a couple of riders that are going to actually lead you out at some point. You might be able to use them to negotiate uh, a few corners and things because they'll be clearing up some space to get in the best spot possible where you want to be. Otherwise, wait for the sprint and you've got to give it everything from either the last corner or coming down to those 200 meters. You don't want to wait too long and you want to be really cautious about dropping the wheel too far when you want to try and get around any riders. If you're sprinting into a really long straight and it's a headwind and it's an uphill, you've got to try and jump hard and early to try and get the gap so that people have to work even harder to get back to you. And then you want to just keep looking at the line Remember, it's full body and be in the right gear and hopefully you'll come away with a win. Question four. So I started racing this year with a local shop team. Since this is my first year riding, basically all the friends I've made in the sport are from this shop. I made it from Cat 5 to Cat 2 in a little over one year and since I'm 20 with no commitments, I want to see how far I can go in the sport before I have to work a real job and whatnot. My dilemma is the team I'm with is a dead end. I have literally been the only person at all but one race this year, so they are hardly a race team. I have no contacts from any better team, so I don't know where to go from here. I've even done some research on local teams, and it seems like they're crappy teams that anyone can sign up. But all of the better, more professional teams don't line, outline a process as to how to apply or join. So I answer this question a lot when it comes to the up-and-coming riders that I deal with, whether I'm coaching them or it's just through racing or whatever, because this is the golden question. If you're 20, like this rider is, then you've missed out on the opportunity to go through the institutional route and straight into a development team from a national team, for example. So you've got to think about other ways to do it, and you've got to be creative. There is no set template when it comes to this stuff. So you have to think differently. And basically, I'm going to give you 
a couple of different pointers to help you thinking about the ways that you can approach different teams and people. Firstly, think outside of the US. It's not just the US that has active, competitive racing scenes. You can talk about Asia or Europe. There's all these different places with all these different levels that will accept club riders and even in a club team in some highly competitive places like Belgium, you're going to get better experience and develop more as a racer than at, say, Cat 1 level in certain certain regional areas of the US. So that's the start. But my biggest piece of advice is people hire people. People deal with people. So build relationships. I work under no like trust. So you've got to make friends with everybody and talk to everybody. Talk to mechanics. Talk to swannies. Talk to the directors, the other writers. Talk to everybody. Be likable and be known. So then you can start building on that relationship from there because it is these relationships that open the door. But then it's your talent and your results and your personality that starts to get you rides and get interest of the people that you're talking to. Or you could just read Phil Guyman's book. Question five, measuring fitness gains in output repeatability. I've been wondering whether anyone is measuring their fitness gains in anything other than raw watts per kilogram for a given time interval. For example, it's easy to say last year I could only do X for one minute, but this year I'm doing Y for one minute. However, that doesn't take into account recovery time and one's ability to repeatedly hit your max effort over and over. Am I overthinking this or is this something any of you measure or track. Testing while fresh and testing once to get a max is the gold standard of testing. So to give you an example, a VO2 max is done when you're fresh and ready for it because we're looking at your potential. We're looking at the maximum that you can do. If you're fatigued or tired in any way, we're not going to get this number and it's a waste of time for everybody. The same goes for any type of testing that you do that is trying to reach your max. So forget about that side of it. So you do raise an interesting point, though, and that point is that repeatability is very, very important, especially in races that have an oscillating power where you're on and off and on and off. You need to know this. There's a couple of ways you can approach this. Sometimes it's just looking at anything that's above FTP when you're talking short stuff and knowing how that is going to reduce, and there's a couple of figures out there. But the big thing for me is probably if you want to test it, and then see if it's changing over time, you need to go out and ride, say we're doing one-minute intervals, do 10 one-minute intervals. See what the average across all of them is, and that's your baseline. And then you can see individually how that degrades over time. Once you know the percentages that it's degrading, you can then do the same test five weeks, six weeks, two months later. And then once you've done that, you can see the same percentages and whether you're getting better and whether your training is working. Unfortunately, I don't know a way to do it by avoiding testing at this stage. So you've got to put in the hard yards and test, but it's not that difficult. It could be a training session, especially if you're testing exactly what you want to train. 